Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Welcome to Benny Happy Miles, a podcast that celebrates all type of forward movement. Whether it's an epic hike, a century ride, or your first brisk walk after a setback, we're here to say yay to all of it and bring on guests to inspire you to move with joy. I'm Dimity McDowell, co-founder of Another Mother Runner. And I'm Sarah Wastner Flynn. And today I'm saying yay to being on spring break in sunny Florida. So all of my lamenting about the winter and the endless winter, now it's finally feels like summer here. So Nice, nice. Yeah. Have you had some good beach time? Uh, we have not been to the beach yet, actually. We just arrived in Sarasota um, yesterday, last night, and we'll probably go to the beach tomorrow. But I'm staying here with my aunt and uncle. It's a gorgeous house, and they have a pool. And so the kids have just been living it up and swimming. Oh. And yeah, we'll get to the beach eventually. There's nothing better than like a pool and young kids in spring break. Like they mm-hmm. just swim and swim and swim in and out jumping. And then they're so tired, tired. by the end of the yes. day. It's just That's the, the key. Best. Yes. We, ha- we were like zombies last night and they just went to sleep. You know, Maeve is three and it's a lot for her to be on the road for so long. It's a quite a trip. And so she's been sleeping well, which is great. And she loves the pool and Fortunately, with the three big kids taking after her, looking after her, we can kind of like relax a little, which is nice too. Yeah. Yeah. So we're definitely soaking it all up and enjoying the break, even though, you know, you're never really on break when you're on vacation with your kids. (laughs) Exactly. You need a vacation after a vacation, right? Yeah. 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 So, but here, this is a great break for me being able to chat with you and record this. So (laughs) I'm happy to have some quiet time. Well, good. And I am so excited about today's episode when we're venturing into the woods. Or rather, we are bringing on someone who spends a lot of time in the woods as an ultra runner and a very accomplished one at that. Yes, we have an incredible father runner on today in John Kelly, a PhD engineer and dad of four in Boone, North Carolina, who has built up quite a niche following for his many trail running adventures and feats. Most recently, last month, John was one of just three finishers of the grueling Barkley Marathons, one of the only 40 people who started. John is one of three people who finished. Yes, it's that hard. If you have no clue about what the Barkley Marathon is, let us fill you in because it is pretty niche. Although a documentary called Barkley Marathons, the race that eats its young, brought it more into the mainstream and has given it a cult-like following. You can watch the documentary in full on YouTube. So if if it's called The Race That Eats Us Young, that's pretty much (laughs) self-explanatory. But um, it's held in each year in Tennessee. And the three-day race, which consists of five loops of about 20 miles each, 
has been called unusual and near impossible competition due to the conditions, which are often cold and much of it in the dark, and the terrain, which is like brushy mountains with an elevation gain of, yes, 63,000 feet. Um, and that's more or less, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. So Barclays also decidedly no frills. There are no aid stations, phones, or GPS to help with navigation. The course also changes from year to year. And because of all this, only 17 individuals have completed the race since it started in 1986. And actually, for the past five years, no one has finished the race, which makes it even more impressive that this year there were three finishers, including John. And one more note, John is the only, the third person ever to record more than one successful finish at Barkley. So we're in rare company today. Welcome, John. Thank you very much. Uh, glad to be here. Looking forward to our uh, chat. Nice, nice. Well, so John, after you finished Barkley, you jokingly tweeted something along the lines of, we're all just a bunch of idiots running around in the woods. But Barkley is so much more than that, right? Why is this race so important to you? Uh, so, so, I mean, at, at its core, that is what we are. <laughs> but it, it is, for me, it has personal meaning for a number of reasons. The one that really got me intrigued and, and passionate about the race to begin with is just the fact that those are, are my home mountains. I grew up right there. It's, it's in a rural area. My family is right across the highway from frozen head. So it, it really had a, a lot of meaning to me to get out, be able to, to go out and represent the community and uh, explore some uh, places right next to my home that, that I had never been. But as I've progressed, the, the bigger meaning really has, has come from the lessons learned while I'm out there from the, the many things that uh, I take away from Barkley that uh, teach me to, to be better in, in my career, better as, as a father and, and husband, uh, that really apply to things other than just running foolishly around the woods. I just listened to a podcast actually about this in preparation. And there was a, a moment where you said that you would you have a picture of you and your dad from 30 years ago up in Frozen Head. Is that right? Or something along those lines? Yeah, one of the mountains on the course is, is called Chimney Top, and, and that's the one that, that we would take family outings to, to hike up that. And I happen to have this this picture of, of sitting there in, in my dad's lap when I'm probably four or five years old, which is, is coincidentally within feet of where the the book is. Uh, the, the books are out there as kind of checkpoints in, in the race, and, and it's just a few feet of, away from where the one is on, on top of Chimney Top. That's, hmm. that's awesome. So it's kind of your home course. Do you, have an, do you feel like you had an advantage? <laughs> or is, is there no advantage in Barkley? <laughs> well, there's, there's no advantage to the course itself. Uh, I mean, the course goes off trail in, in areas that you're not permitted to go outside of the race. It's, it's some ecologically sensitive areas. So I, I didn't have any specific course knowledge advantage, but I had the advantage of just being familiar and, and comfortable with that type of terrain. A lot mm -hmm. of people that are, are used to doing these sorts of races in you know, the Rockies or the Alps or the Sierra Nevada or, or whatnot, they've really in, in the past underestimated the terrain. They thought, oh, it's it's Tennessee, it's, it's the Appalachian Mountain. Like how, they're not that big. How bad can it be? 
And then they get there and find how steep and rocky and overgrown everything is. And, and it's a bit of a, a shock to them. Uh, and that can mentally create a bit of a problem. Whereas as me, you, you know, that's, I grew up playing uh, on that terrain. Uh, it just feels nice and, and comfortable to me. Mm-hmm. That was actually going to be our next question. So you, know, you alluded to the fact that like so many people have started this race and haven't finished even the most experienced ultra runners. Um, so was it growing up playing in the woods that helped like help you grit it out and not get lost, especially like how, tell us about your athletic background and how it set you up to handle these challenges. So I, I ran in high school, ran track and cross country. I, I wasn't a, a fantastic uh, runner at the time uh, or at those distances. I basically took a decade off and did the intramural sports circuit in, in college and in grad school before coming back to running uh, after that, about, well, actually about 10 years ago now. And so I think a big part of what has led to my success at Barkley is a bit of natural physical ability as, as far as being able to run well at, at these types of distances and, and for these durations I've, I've progressively done fairly well in, in marathons and in triathlons and other ultras that you would say are, are more normal in the sense of mm-hmm. being on actual trail or roads or a marked course. But Barkley pulls in a lot more than that. It's, it's a, a mix of not only physical speed and strength, but also a number of other skills and including basic navigation, being able to manage uh, sleep deprivation and, and nutrition over that length of time. But then also just, just the mindset of, of being able to push through those obstacles and, and deal with the adverse, unexpected conditions that, that come your way. And part of that, you know, is, is a learned experience from, again, progressively doing more of these things over the past decade. But there's definitely also a, I think, sort of innate stubbornness in me that has uh, been channeled in a, I guess you can say, non-destructive uh, channel here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, so sleep deprivation is something that you just mentioned. And that's definitely a big part of ultra running, especially a race that lasts 60 hours. You have four small kids. So tell us, how, first of all, the ages of them. And, um, you know, if, if, if raising them has helped you kind of <laughs> stay on your game when your brain hasn't <laughs> been fully rested. Uh, so we have uh, our oldest will be turning nine soon. And then we have six-year-old twins and a two-year-old. Wow. And yeah, yeah, there, there, uh, have definitely been some restless nights. My wife has just done an an incredible job of absorbing the the brunt of that. In most cases is is I've had to get up for work and deal with that schedule and, and other demands during the day. So we've done a great job of each other's schedules, complimenting one another and supporting each other throughout that. But it, it is definitely the ability to, to kind of stay focused and, and stay determined through those sorts of stages of life has been something that, that has helped me in my, my ultra running experiences and, and also vice versa. There have been quite a number of times where I've had a, a rough stretch, whether it's with my kids or with my career, and I thought to myself of the 
difficult times I've, I've experienced out there in, in the mountains. If I made it through those, then I can make it through these other difficulties. For sure, for sure. Mm-hmm. Well, talk us through a little bit how you train for an event like Barkley. You're getting up early for your job, it sounds like. Do you get up earlier to run? Like, Because you can't really prepare for a 60-hour event, can you? Or do how do you, how do, you do it? <laughs> no, I, I mean, to be honest, my training, and this is partially by design and partially just due to life constraints, my training is not really more than what a serious marathon runner would do in terms of, of mileage or time. It was for a while when I was working in an office in downtown DC, all of my weekday miles were as my commute. So I was taking time that would otherwise be uh, wasted in a car or on a DC metro, and I was getting my run in instead. And so that enabled me to, to really do my training without it being an additional strain on my time or taking away from from family or or anything else. And then on weekends, I would try to get up early. And many times, if it was a longer run in particular, might might make a bit of a a destination out of it, make it a family event where I run to the zoo or I run to a a museum or just some other fun place to visit a festival that's going on that day. And they meet me there uh, at, at the end of my run. And just to to clarify that your commute and your run into D.C. was but about 12 miles or more? Because we used to live in the same neighborhood, I should say. So I know I've done it before. It's not it's not that close. Right? Yeah, it, it, it would depend on the, the route I took. Uh, it was quite nice because the Rock Creek Trail was just, you know, it, it was a quarter mile from my house and, and then just a, a mile or two from my office. And so I could take that all the way down pretty much a straight shot. That would be about 14 miles. Uh, you know, that, that was a bit longer on days where maybe I was tapering or just didn't have time to go quite as far. I, I would run halfway and, and then hop on the metro from there. Or, or sometimes I, I would bike. Uh, when I moved to the UK and my commute was only about six miles, that gave me a lot more flexibility because you, you can always make a commute longer if you want to. You can't really mm-hmm. make it shorter. <laughs> and you would just stash your clothes at your office and shower, I presume? Yeah, that that was, uh, you know, I'm, I'm quite fortunate to have been in working situations where I, I could show up and get changed and, and ready for work. When I was at a startup, that, that was easy enough because I had that flexibility in my schedule and, and not needing to immediately be in, in a suit and tie and nice and, and perfectly clean at the start mm-hmm. of each day. Yeah. So ultra running works with your lifestyle, it sounds like, more or less. So back to Barclays, John, can you explain, you mentioned uh, earlier about the book system and how it works to keep track of your loops. So can you tell us, because I assume a lot of our listeners are runners, but they're not maybe as familiar with Barclays as you are in your, your world of ultra runners. So how do you know how to look or where to look for the books? And I know something happened at the end of the race this year with the book, which we'd love to hear about too. So the, the books are essentially just checkpoints out there. There, there are no course marshals or anything. Uh, there are no timing mats or GPS trackers. And so for each loop, you get a new bib number. And then you have to get to those books. You have to follow the course, which 
is drawn out for you on a map and, and has actually quite detailed written instructions uh, along with it. So you follow the course, you, you get to those books, and, and you rip the page out that corresponds to your bib number. And that, that proves that you were there and, and that you followed the course. And it's been used for, for decades now and was really quite the clever, low-tech way of, mm-hmm. of being able to ensure people followed the course without having to, to have any sort of course marshal out there. Uh, who not only would be uh, quite bored sitting there for for 60 hours, but also would kind of disrupt the experience of of the solitude of being out there for each loop. We'll be back with more Barkley tidbits right after this word from our sponsors. And then I know what made the news this year was the ultimate winner didn't have the the book like was picked up by a day hiker. Did that impact you at all? Because did you not were you not able to get your last pages? No. So so we were going in opposite directions on the last loop, and so that was his second to last book. So for me, it would have been my second book uh, on the last loop, and, and so I, mm. I was there much earlier than him, probably, you know, 10 hours or so uh, before he was at the beginning of the day. And so the, okay. the book was still there uh, when I passed by and, and sometime during the day be, between then and, and when Aurelian arrived. Uh, this is when the the hiker came by and they thought the race was over and, and that they were uh, doing a favor, just picking up the book <laughs> and, and bringing it back to camp. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so just to be clear, so it's the same five or how many books are there? Uh, it, it varies a bit by year. This year there were 13 for each loop. So, so it's the same 13 books, but because you change bibs, so like you would be number 17 and you grab page 17 and then the second loop you would be number 92 or whatever and grab page 92. Is that how it works? Yep. Except okay. there are never even, there, there are never any even numbers because oh. the, uh, it, you know, the, <laughs> Then if you had someone with bib 91 and someone with bib 92, it might be the same page in the book. Sure. (laughs) Oh, my gosh. How frustrating would that be? Oh, my gosh. And also, you mentioned the opposite loops. I kind of forgot about that. So you you go opposite way of your competitor or how does that work with the like keeping track of who's winning? Uh, So the the first four loops. Uh, well, the first loop has always been clockwise, and, and then he, he switches it up year to year in terms of which direction that the following loops are in. And, and it's kind of the five loops, they all feel different because it's, it's essentially kind of a clockwise day loop, a clockwise night loop, and then a counterclockwise day loop, a counterclockwise night loop. And the fifth and final loop is, you know, an, an entirely new experience with, with the mental state that you're in. But when you get to that final loop, he, he alternates the direction that people go to ensure that people can't help each other, that they have to be alone uh, on that last mm. loop and, and get things done independently. And so it is pretty impossible to know who is in front uh, until you come back around and, and finish the loop. But also, to, to be honest, it's not something that many people out there are, are going to be thinking about. Mm-hmm. The main objective of, of the race is, is to finish, and 
winning is is certainly nice and maybe a secondary objective, but it's very difficult to race when, as you say, you don't necessarily know where the other person is and the risk reward just isn't there. If you're focusing on that and trying to think too much about where someone else is, you, you might lose focus of where you are in the moment and what you need to do to ensure that you get back to the finish at all. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so I, are you running with other people? I mean, because it's like, do you guys help each other with navigation for those first four loops? Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. And, and it's, it's something that everyone over that length of time, especially as, as they start to get sleep deprived, you're going to start making some careless mental mistakes. And so having someone else or, or other people out there with you just is an enormous reduction in that probability that you actually commit a careless mistake because the chances that you both lose focus and both make the same mistake at the same time is pretty low. So you're constantly correcting one another and, and covering each other and, and allowing each other to do what I refer to as mental drafting, where for a little bit, you're able to just give your mind a slight reprieve and, and latch onto and, and follow the other person. And that can just be a, a huge boost in, in terms of restoring a, a bit of, of mental energy. And what about um, some of the other logistics? So do you have a crew to support you? Are you like stashing snacks um, in trees or what? I mean, are you carrying everything? Like, and I, and again, I list, I heard this recap podcast where you were, you said you were like sleeping in a stream or something. Like talk a little bit about just how the, you know, the transitions work and when and where you sleep. So there's crew support between each loop uh, back in camp. Other than that, uh, you have to, to carry everything other than, than water for the entirety of the loop. There's definitely no stashing things or caches on the course. There are two water drops. There's streams you can get water out of, but everything from start to finish of the loop has to be entirely on your own. The only other possible help can come from another runner who is out there with oh, you. Okay. The sleep, uh, yeah, it, it can get a bit rough towards the end. And, and so my strategy in that case, especially this year, you, you're not allowed any electronic devices other than a, a cheap, basic $10 watch that the race director gives you. And so the watch that I was given, the alarm didn't work. And, and so I, I desperately needed to get just a quick nap, uh, power nap and, and refresh on, on that last loop and didn't want to risk lying down for a nap and then, you know, waking up five hours later and, and not being able to finish. So I was intentionally trying to put myself in, in uncomfortable positions, laying down in, in cold creeks and, and other such things to where at some point uh, my body would cross a threshold where it would say, okay, I'm, I'm now more uncomfortable than I am sleeping and, and we need to get up and, and get moving. That's such a rational way to go about oh it <laughs> when you're feeling irrational. I know, I wow. know. Wow. And you also slept in the mud, right? Yeah, that, that was again where uh, I, I thought that, so, so the creek, I only managed it about five minutes. Okay. Um, it, was, it was probably a bit too cold and, and too uncomfortable. I was ideally shooting for 15 to, to 20 
Uh, and, and so I, I saw uh, an access road with some muddy tire tracks in it. And I thought, well, that, that'll be perfect. It, uh, that'll still be cold from last night. I can <laughs> douse myself with a bit of extra water and, and hopefully get a, a solid nap there. And that's actually where uh, I, I laid down and, and then almost immediately a family hiked by and, and I looked up and just kind of instinctively recognized an, an old childhood friend and said his name. He said, oh, that, that's a John Kelly nap if I've ever seen one and just laughed and kept walking. And I I thought nothing of it. And after the race was, uh, I, I was pretty I started to rationally think about it and, and thought, you know, like, what are the chances that I, I would see a family out there hiking on a Thursday morning and mm-hmm. that it would be one of my childhood friends that I haven't seen for 20 years? And in my delirious state, I would recognize this friend immediately. And that he would know about Barclay and know uh, my previous experience there and, and know enough to, to just keep going and, and, and leave me there and, and not, you know, forcefully drag me off the mountain to, to safety. And I thought, no, no, like that, no way. I, I was hallucinating. I was convinced that I, I hallucinated this entire experience, um, which is actually something I've I've never done. A lot of ultra runners, they, they experience hallucinations when uh, they're sleep deprived. I've, I've never had any. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I thought, well, it, it finally happened. I, I can finally uh, say I've, I've had this experience. <laughs> and, and just to, you know, to, to be absolutely certain, I, I tracked this friend down on, on LinkedIn and messaged him about it. And said, you know, this might sound crazy, but did you see me lying in the mud uh, out in Frozen Head on Thursday? <laughs> He said, "Oh, oh, yeah, that that was us. We we were out for we were out camping uh, that week, and uh, saw you, and 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 I knew about your your previous uh, runs at Barclay, so th- thought it best not to disrupt you. And uh, yeah, so it's it crazy, and you know, reconnected, crazy. and hopefully <laughs> see him out there. in the woods more normal. Yeah, it was, he was he was really there. It was it, it happened." But oh did, my god! Did you actually have a con- like? Did he say like, "Oh, did he acknowledge like, oh, you're 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 racing Barclays? I'll leave you alone." Or did he just say that's a John Kelly nap if I've ever seen one? <laughs> All I remember is looking up, seeing him, and saying, "Hey there!" and said his name, and he said, "Yeah, that's a John Kelly nap if I've ever seen one." And I recall saying something uh, incoherently about it being Barkley in my fifth loop, and I just needed a quick nap. <laughs> and they just kept going as his wife gave me a look like I was insane, which was entirely <laughs> justified. And yeah, I mean, again, hopefully we'll, I'll, I'll be able to, to go for a, a hike with him in, in more normal circumstances <laughs> and, and get the, the more accurate version of the story. Because as it is, I feel like, you know, I'm, I'm the drunk guy trying to piece it, retell piece a story together, that I, I can right? barely remember. <laughs> Can we ask, what is a John Kelly nap? Like, were you prone to taking naps in the woods as a kid? Or what did that mean? The, there was one of my, my previous Barclays, my second attempt back in, in 2016, where I came in from my fourth loop with only 10 minutes before the cutoff to start my fifth loop. 
And so I was terribly sleep deprived. I hadn't been able to get any sleep at all and uh, was, was kind of sleep deprived going into the race because it was a late morning start and I'd been up anxious all night, not able to sleep before the race. And so I was in a bad spot and I had to quickly turn around uh, to get out and start loop five. And so I, I did that. Uh, just a few minutes, got out, started my fifth loop, walked, you know, a hundred yards up the road from the gate and just laid down right there in, in full view of, of camp still uh, and, <laughs> and and took a nap. And so he had seen that before. Or he had read about that. Yeah, that, yeah. that kind of that spot became known as, as Upper Kelly Camp. <laughs> it has quite the uh the chigger infestation i, I would not oh. recommend uh oh, you man. booking a stay <laughs> <laughs> so other than your finish and the fact that an unprecedented three people completed the course under the 60 hour time limit this year there is also another significant event at barkley in that uk-based runner jasmine paris became the second woman ever to start the fourth lap of the five lap event in the event's history. So like Jasmine, you didn't finish your first attempt at Barkley or your second one either. And now you've done it twice. So can you speak to that and your thoughts on seeing a woman finisher in the near future? Yeah. So Jasmine had an, an incredible performance. She has long been one of the women that, that I wanted to see at Barkley. Uh, she very much has the right skill set and the right abilities and, and the right mindset to do something like that. So she's shown great progression and it will be exciting to see how she can continue to improve in future years. And, and especially if she has someone out there that she can work together with for longer periods of the race. Courtney DeWalter is, is another, she's been there twice now and she's had a bit of navigation issues, but also can do amazing things at that race. You know, Courtney has, has beat me in the last two ultras that, that we've lined up together. And Maggie Guterrell, who outright won Big Dog's backyard, is, is quite passionate about Barkley. And there are definitely a lot of, of exciting people to watch in coming years. Part of what makes Barkley so exciting is, is no one is a guaranteed finish. It's always a roll of the dice. And so if, if we roll those dice enough with enough strong women, I hope we'll see one of them make it around for the full five loops. Yeah, that, I love it. It sounds like it's going to happen. Yeah, definitely. So, OK, you know, most you, you finish a marathon, maybe you finish an ultra, you, you get something, right? <laughs> you get, you know, a belt buckle at Leadville, a medal at Disney, whatever. Do you get anything for finishing a Barkley other than just straight up bragging rights and pride? Uh, I got a milkshake from Sonic and some leftover <laughs> pizza. Uh, Wait, did but, someone bring you the milkshake at least, or did you have to go get it? <laughs> yeah, no, no. My, my, my crew had me, me covered there, and uh, for being so close to home, my, my family was able to make it out to the finish, which was great. And, well, and by that point in the race, you know, there are dozens of people there who are your de facto crew. All, all the people that have, have dropped prior to that are, are there to, to support you. But, you know, the, the first time I finished, you, you do have all your pages and your bib numbers. So I, I made a nice little uh, display of that. 
Uh, I'm not sure what, if anything, I'll, I'll do with my, my pages from this year. Uh, but that's really the only physical thing you take away from it. Sure. Uh, it, you know, everyone who's had success at this race, they're, they're entirely intrinsically motivated, though. So, I mean, the reward is the achievement and the, the knowledge of what you've done, being able to feel that yourself and have that pride in the accomplishment and also the, the many lessons that you take away from it that improve not only your, your ultra running, but also uh, other areas of, of life is, is a huge reward for me. Totally. So you don't need a t-shirt in other words. <laughs> uh, there, there are t-shirts there that, that you can get if you want to. No, no finisher t-shirts. It's just Got a it. you know, generic Barkley t-shirt. They got their merch set up, right? Yeah. yeah. But you're not wearing they, it they, to the office on Monday morning, are you? <laughs> no, no. A lot of the Barkley t-shirts are, are not appropriate office attire. <laughs> not safe for work. Not safe for work. Yeah. All right. So you talked about a milkshake. I mean, how do you recover? You know, are you off the roads for or off, you know, off your feet for a couple of weeks? Are you in your bed sleeping? I mean, you know, just like... I feel like your system must be just so out of whack after you finish something like that, that it's almost like a really extended jet lag or something. But talk about how you recover from Barkley. Yeah, bad jet lag is, is probably a good way of describing it. I've, my body's gotten much better at bouncing back from these things the more I've done them, particularly physically. I, I don't get, you know, doms nearly as, as bad as I once did doing shorter, more reasonable things. Uh, it's it's really the the sleep deprivation, the the, the brain fog that, that is the toughest. And people assume that you do something like that, and then you just immediately afterwards pass out and sleep for fourteen hours. But uh, initially, your your body's still keyed up; things are aching and sore, and, and so it's really hard to to get a good night's sleep that that first night in particular. And it's it's usually two or three nights before I can sleep soundly through the night and, and start to catch up on things. And I'll take about a week off from running before easing back into it. And, and just the important thing is, is to listen to my body. Like when I'm physically and mentally wanting to run again and, and kind of eager for that and, and not denying anything that I really get a craving for, you know, if I'm, I'm sitting there and, suddenly need a pint of ice cream, then I have a pint of ice cream. Mm -hmm. Have you bet? Have you started running again since? Oh, oh yeah. Yeah. You're yeah. back at uh, it. Started. It's been, I guess, close to three weeks now. And so I, I started mm -hmm. easing back into running about a six or seven days after the race. And I think I'll, I'll be back up to kind of full volume and, and intensity in, in a week or so. Yeah. So Barkley isn't the only epic challenge you've done. You've done so much in your, like you said, about a decade career, including last year when you did the Wainwright Fells, which was 320 miles or more than 320 miles up and down mountains. <laughs> it took you five days and you smashed the previous record. We're curious, how did that compare to your time in Barkley? And have you ever done anything harder than Barkley? Uh, so it's it's a bit of a, a different experience, a different challenge. Uh, the, the Wainwrights was fully supported. I had people out there with me rotating at various 
stages of it to carry my stuff, help me out with navigation, remind me to eat, that sort of thing. And so it was very much a, a team effort and, and really a great experience with the community there. Barclay is, is much more solo. You're, you're out there maybe mm-hmm. with other runners at times, but you only have your crew between loops, so much more independent and, and self-supported. I've also done something I called the Grand Round, which was also over five days that was linking the UK's big three fell running rounds and riding my bike between them. And then the other one that, that gets a lot of comparison is, is the Spine, which is a race in the UK and it runs essentially kind of the, the UK's Appalachian Trail. It's, it's their first national trail. It's about 260 miles running up really the the spine of of England up to the Scottish border. And that is in early January where, you know, in the UK you have like seven or eight hours of daylight. Weather is is nasty. Everything is is wet and boggy. And so I, I think I took 88, 89 hours somewhere around there. Uh, Jasmine Paris actually holds the course record. I, I think around 80, three hours maybe it's a very difficult race you are independent for most of the time other than a a few support points and the best way i can think of describing it is you know barkley holds you closer to the fire but the spine holds you there for a bit longer Mm. (laughs) that's a great way of saying that well so are you are you done with barkley or do you see yourself going back john uh so it's it's a really just great, enjoyable experience for me at this, this point. It's something where I, I've found a good balance and, and equilibrium and know how to approach it and prepare for it without it being a, an impact to my family, without it being any sort of big stress or all-consuming part of my life. Uh, it's it's a few days that I, I look forward to, to, to have fun out in those mountains, to, to get them to to get to share that time uh, with with some great people. And now back living to, to just a, a few hours away from it, it's, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think uh, why not uh, is, is kind of the, yeah, the, the best way of saying that now. That's awesome. Why not indeed? Well, thank you so much, John. You have been um, really fun to talk to you, right, Sarah? Oh my gosh. Yeah. It's, it's so cool. And we we have to know, what are you doing next? Like, how can you top this? I know you've had so many different like FKTs, like fastest known times. Like, are you going for anything like that? Or do you have a big goal in mind? Yeah, I I did have my, my sights set on a a big FKT this summer, but I I don't think that that one is, is going to be feasible this year, given the winter conditions that, that we've seen. So the next definite thing on my schedule is, is Tour de Giant, which is an absolutely beautiful course in, in, in an incredible area. Uh, the, the, the Italian Alps, that the course is, is 205 miles circling the, the Aosta Valley, uh, just, just south of, of Mont Blanc. So it's one of my, my favorite experiences that I've had, but I also have not had a good race there. So I'm, I'm hoping that I, I can correct that this year. 
and uh, yeah, come come back with a, a performance I'm happy with. All right. Well, thank you so much, John. That was great. We appreciate your time. Good luck with it all, and um, and keep uh, keep that level head on your shoulders. <laughs> Thanks very much. If you're fired up to get on some trails after listening to this episode, join us at the Blue Ridge Ultra in Blue Ridge, Georgia, where we'll have a group of women taking on a 15K, 30K, or 50K at the beginning of October. You'll train virtually as a team under Coach Christy Scott and then head to the Blue Ridge Mountains and have an amazing day. We will link to the program. It's called Race Like a Mother Trail Run in our show notes. So take a look at that. Promise you're not going to have to find books. You're not going to have to be totally self-supported. And you know what? You can sleep when the race is over. We'll let you do that. <laughs> this episode today was produced by Barry Medore of Fire on the Bluff in St. Paul, Minnesota. Minnesota.